Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by our seminarian, Emily Walker Cornetta, her last sermon at Holy Communion, on the fifth Sunday of Easter, May 2nd, 2021. In the name of the loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Following the lectionary's journey through Acts this Easter season, we get to watch the apostles and the earliest followers of the resurrected Jesus behold this, this story, which began as a local Palestinian drama, grow and transform in ways they couldn't have anticipated. And perhaps, had they been given the whole story ahead of time, may not have even been so thrilled about. Today we read this fantastic story of Philip's encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch at the intersection of two wilderness roads. Philip, who was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, had just been sharing the good news of Jesus in Samaria. From there, at the command of an angel, Philip heads south into an empty place, a place people passed through but didn't inhabit, And there, his road intersects with the east-west route that connected Jerusalem to Gaza. And as Philip is walking, a chariot approaches. It's sort of interesting from the jump because it's a chariot, so we know the person inside is very rich. And as it gets closer, Philip glimpses a servant of the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia, which in this context refers not to the country of Ethiopia we know today, but to a place south of Egypt, modern-day Sudan. The Greco-Roman world, which equated power with masculinity, mocked this nation for being ruled by a queen. So we have in this chariot a representative of this, in their mind, sort of queer monarchy, and a person inside who also happens to be a eunuch. This condition was likely required of someone who served in close proximity to the queen. And whether he was a eunuch by choice, by coercion, by birth, we don't know. But as a eunuch, whatever that meant in this person's case, they were a gender liminal figure. Eunuchs in the ancient world were, like, were considered to be couriers between the two gendered realms. They had the ability to occupy political, public spaces with men, but also private, domestic spaces with women. They were thought of as unmanly men, or maybe not quite men, not quite women, somewhere in the ambiguous in-between. The Hebrew Bible speaks with more than one voice about eunuchs. Deuteronomy instructs, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. But in Isaiah, in a place actually not too far from the passage Philip finds the eunuch reading out loud on the road, God promises to restore eunuchs' dignity and standing among the people of Israel. Isaiah prophesies, Do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. One wonders reading this story what kind of reception the foreign eunuch whom the text implies was Jewish, received when they went to Jerusalem to worship. 
and whether they were ostracized there and or ostracized at home within their own community. We don't know. But maybe there's a reason they paused over this particular passage in Isaiah 53 that we find them reading in the chariot. Here in the eunuch's voice, the words of the text, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? Maybe the eunuch knew something of humiliation, of justice taken away, of the stigma attached to having no descendants. You can almost hear in the question he asks Philip about this passage. He asks Philip, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? You can hear in that question the question that maybe lies underneath. Is he talking about me? In response to this question, Philip proclaims to him the good news about Jesus. I'd love to know what he said. Whatever it was, the eunuch heard something that gripped them. They heard God saying to them, listen, the life I have for you is more, and it's different than the kind the world tells you is possible and that you deserve. You are loved. You are whole. You are worthy of fullness of life, and the life I give to you, no one can take away. See how the life I gave Jesus survived the worst the world could do to him? He bears the scars of crucifixion, but he is alive. Plunge into the waters of baptism, and Jesus and I will become alive in you. The eunuch heard in the good news of Jesus, as told by Philip, a promise of life, of justice and love that was stronger than humiliation. And by entering the waters of baptism, the story of Jesus became their story. But Revelation didn't just go one way in this story, from Philip to the eunuch. There was something reciprocal about it. This passage in Acts, uh, the one, our, our lesson for today, it's, in it is the most explicit connection in all of the New Testament between Jesus and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the passage that the eunuch was reading. It's that passage that contains those familiar words, he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. For centuries, Christians have seen Jesus in these words, and this interpretation was midwifed by the eunuch because of whatever their own interest was in this passage. And the eunuch offers another lesson, too, to Philip and to the early church, one that is central to the book of Acts. Acts is just one story after another, including this one, of early Christians realizing with trepidation, with wonder, and sometimes with some resistance, that the good news of Jesus is always God's, and it's never just theirs. It's totally particular to them, but also completely universal, and it's more than any one set of hands can hold or any one mind can contain. After this encounter between Philip and the, and the eunuch, we read about the conversion of, of Paul, an unlikely figure, because he was, of course, the Christian's worst enemy. And then, it gets even wilder after that, we see the conversion of Gentiles. 
Over and over, the apostles encounter God's Spirit working in people who are unlike them, perhaps even offensive to them. And each time this is revealed, in a way, they have to be converted all over again. Converted to the new thing God is doing. Beholding the unconventional, but also the unquestionable work of the Spirit, they face a question. God's doing something that implicates you in the lives of strangers, in the lives of people with whom you've had no previous association, by binding you together into one crucified and resurrected body. And so they face the question, are you ready? God's chosen people to lead this movement that are different from you, that may even scandalize you. Are you ready? The good news can't be good if you're holding on to it too tightly. Let go, and your mind may be changed. Your center of gravity may shift. You may look at Jesus a little differently. Your God might get bigger. Are you ready? Today is my last Sunday here at Holy Communion, and to be honest, I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready for that at all. I feel like our meeting, mine and yours, happened at something like, or at somewhere like a wilderness intersection. I arrived here six months into the pandemic, and now I'm taking my leave right before people start to trickle back into these pews. I'm grateful for opportunities that await me and my family in Atlanta, and also I feel sad to go. I'm sad not to be able to encounter you all here in this sanctuary. As atypical as our worshiping together has been over this past year, I will miss it very much, and I will miss you. In a way, it feels like all of us are at an intersection right now, a place of turning between one difficult, truly tragic season of life and the chapter that lies ahead. I'm trusting and hoping God will run into us at this intersection if we're willing to brave the encounter. God wants to evangelize us with good news about Jesus, news that is more comprehensive, more disruptive, more lively than we ever imagined it could be. The waters of baptism are here, all around us. Are we ready? Amen.